0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmear's Day, November 9th, 2020. On the show today, news! And is Disney World prepping for a New Year's Eve event? In our main segment, Jim tells us about the history of Disney's Dixie Landings Resort and how the remake of that might give us clues as to how Splash Mountain will be rethemed. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that cutting your hair short is just saying, okay, face, it's all up to you now. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: Oh, that's a problem when you're bald and you cut your hair. You have so much face, miles So much face. Mu- so so much.
0: Just, just so much face. It's great. It's going to be great.
1: I got forehead that almost goes all the way back to my neck. <laughs> the, the terrible thing is I'm, I'm due to go get a haircut, which, again, in the age of COVID is is such great fun. But That's why these, I haven't done it. Yeah. yeah. These days, it, in my case – I can. I think sheep get more attention. I go into the equivalent of supercuts, and they go to my file, and it's like, okay, we pull out these two blades. And it's like vroom, vroom, we're done. All that for twenty four bucks. Wow, I'm, this Amazing. is a great investment of my time and money. So I'll, I'll
0: tell you a quick a quick Las Vegas story. So I was in. Uh, I was doing research for the Las Vegas unofficial guide one time, mm-hmm. and I drew the enviable task mm-hmm. of testing out the Canyon Ranch Spa in Las Vegas, which is a wonderful, or at least back in the day it was a wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. um, spa. So they asked me to get a haircut there to see what it was like. And in those days, my haircut was basically a number four razor mm-hmm. all over. Mm-hmm. Simplest, like, it was like, like sheep sharing, right? Mm-hmm. You just run the number four razor over your entire hair and it was done. So I get in there and mm-hmm. my stylist does the number four. And I'm, I'm booked for like half an hour. Mm-hmm. It takes like 3 minutes to cut my hair, right? So there. she says, "Well, you know, I feel guilty about charging you it was $60 for the haircut. Mm-hmm. $60 for a haircut. Why don't I massage your scalp for 20 minutes and we'll we'll call it good?" Jim, I was asleep in 30 seconds. It was wow. the best haircut. I woke up. I was drooling on, on the little thing they put you know, the little cover they put over you. And uh, she was like, "Yeah, that happens all the time. Don't worry wow. about it." Wow, <laughs> best haircut experience I've ever had. Canyon Ranch Spa, in Las Vegas.
1: My spa experience is limited to the time that you, me, Nancy, and Laurel did uh, the Disney Dream. And you were kind enough to spring for the passes to the, the onboard spa there. Oh, yeah. I learned things about myself I never knew before. Like, I, I <laughs> must be part lizard because that heated rock seat. It was good. No, yeah. that's it, exactly. You know to lay there and it's like, okay, where did three hours go? It's like, well, your reptile brain took over. But oh, I, think, yeah. I think the uh, Rainforest Spa
0: package on the Disney Cruise Line is one of the best, most affordable things.
1: Oh in the Disney Cruise line. It's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. I spent entirely too much time walking back and forth between the various showers. It was yeah. uh, oh, good time. Good time. time. So all
0: right, let's get uh let's get on with the show, Jim. Let's uh and let's do that by starting off with a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to everyone who subscribes to our show on Bandcamp. I hope you all uh, enjoyed listening to my live walk-around in the Magic Kingdom on Halloween. Uh we've got lots more stuff coming up, including a huge new series on the storytelling ideas proposed for Epcot back in the 1970s by Hollywood producer Joseph Mankiewicz. And Jim and I have never talked about this before, and I've never even heard of these notes until just recently. And these ideas are really, really detailed, they're full of big concepts, and they're nothing like we've ever seen before. And I can't wait to get into these with Jim and to share them with you guys. So thanks to n- new subscribers, Lord 231 Timmy H., and Arctic Knights and longtime subscribers Robert F., Len Y., nice name, and Kyle M. Jim, these kids invented the don't pull this rope gag that's now in front of the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular when they fell into a construction pit in Echo Lake after a long night of beer pong with the Muppets and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. True story. <laughs> sure, I absolutely. Can, I, I can verify this construction accidents happen, Jim, that's all I'm saying. This is true. All right, let's do the uh, the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast for a worry-free travel experience every time. Book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, we mentioned on last week's show that Disney World had increased its park hours for December 20th through December 30th, and alert listener Scott mm-hmm. sent in a survey that he received from Disney. Asking about his interest in a New Year's Eve event. Would you like to hear those questions on the survey? Okay, sure. New Year's Eve event. All right. Mm. So uh, so the, the survey starts off with the standard, you know, how did you like our coronavirus protection stuff? But then the questions change and it starts this way. For the next series of questions, please assume that the new Walt Disney World resort processes and procedures, as described earlier, are still in place when thinking about your scheduled Walt Disney World trip over New Year's Eve. First question is, how committed are you to this particular trip? And I think the reason why they're asking this question is, we want to make sure that, or Disney wants to make sure, that you're coming before they go to the, to the trouble of scheduling this event. Mm-hmm. So are you fully committed? Are you somewhat committed? Are you not very committed? Are you not at all committed? And the next question is, do you anticipate celebrating New Year's Eve up to and through midnight this year, while visiting the Walt Disney World Resort, yes, definitely, yes, probably, maybe, maybe not, no, probably not, and no, definitely not. So again, they're, they're just trying to figure out how committed people are here, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, fair enough. Then the, uh, the next question is, and this is a slider
1: mm-hmm.
0: on a scale from one to seven, one being smaller, seven being larger. The question is, what kind of New Year's Eve gathering is most appealing to you this year where all gatherings include physical distancing measures? And Disney bolded the phrase in this survey, Mm. where all gatherings include physical distancing measures. So do you favor one smaller, more intimate gatherings or seven larger, more public feeling uh, gatherings? And then the next one, again, same one to seven scale, one being calm, Mm -hmm. seven being lively is... What tone or mood of a New Year's Eve experience is most appealing to you? Now, Jim, I've never seen Disney mm. ask a question about what kind of mood you want at a live event. I think here they're trying to figure out how celebratory people want to be in the middle of a pandemic. Is that what you're
1: – Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. Especially right. in 2020. It's just sort of like, no yelling. Okay, I just want a comfortable chair. <laughs> exactly. Uh,
0: the next question, again, same one to seven scale. Hmm. Would you rather the experience be one, family friendly, four, neutral, or seven, geared towards adults? Hmm. That part, I'm not, I don't, I don't. I guess, I mean, with kids, you'd mm-hmm. have to find a babysitter.
1: Yeah. I'm old enough to have seen how New Year's Eve celebrations have changed. I mean, it used to be Guy Lombardo you know, with his Royal Canadians on stage. And, it, you know, there was very much a drinking component. And we've seen in our own lifetime, Glenn, the sort of the rise of the Dick Clark modern music, big group of people in Times Square or, you know, wherever grow up. So it's adult means alcohol, family friendly means not so much New Year's Eve has changed over the years, or the way we celebrate it. Okay, good point. So maybe
0: Disney's just trying to gauge that. Yep. All right. So there are two more questions that I want to go over. And this is where the next question is Disney trying to figure out where, like what specific area within Walt Disney World you would feel comfortable celebrating a New Year's Eve party. And so the question is this. Thinking about your expectations around a New Year's Eve experience at the Walt Disney World Resort this year. Please indicate your level of interest in attending a celebration at each of the following venues. And so the responses are, there are five of them ranging from not at all interested to extremely interested with the middle being somewhat interested. Right. So five point scale from not at all interested to extremely interested. The first one is inside a sit down restaurant at Disney Springs. Hmm. And, and that's interesting because there aren't that many places that have super capacity, right? I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. Boathouse is big. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they could just block off a few of them. Similarly, the other question is outside of Disney Springs. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see that. Yep. In my Walt Disney World Resort hotel room through live stream celebrations on in-room TV available. <laughs> that sounds like the ending of the old carousel of progress.
1: <laughs> there we go. I'm, I'm wa- watching the New Year celebration in Europe in the East. Yeah. Uh, and I, I look forward to my VR goggles that are the size of a small foreign car. So yeah. It's a <laughs> He's a shoebox on his head. That's great. There we go. Yeah.
0: At a location off Walt Disney World property. I can't imagine that's going to get a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's like Golden Oak. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Ooh, Golden Oak block party. Sounds great. Uh, inside a sit down restaurant at a Walt Disney World resort hotel. Okay. They got tons of options there. Mm-hmm. Um, inside a Walt Disney World Resort Hotel. I, I can see this. Like, Think about it. Like Wilderness Lodge, Animal Kingdom Lodge. That would be contemporary. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not bad. Yep. All right. At a Walt Disney World theme park. Outside at a Walt Disney World Resort Hotel, e.g. by the pool. Ooh. Okay. I could do the poly
1: outside. That. It's going to it's gonna come down there to weather. I, I don't know if yeah, people... Yeah, no, that's it exactly. The wild card is Florida can be Florida. Wonderful, pleasant, and also rainy and cold, you know, especially yeah, at that time. Yeah, I
0: mean, I've, I've, yeah, I've been in, in, in Walt Disney World in December where it's you know, above 90, and I've been there where it's, you know, below 60. So. Uh-huh. so Scott, his option was inside a sit-down restaurant at Disney Springs, and he said that he would not be interested in that. So the next question, I guess the way that you answer that, if you answer at an extreme, mm-hmm. not at all interested or extremely interested, then they ask you why and there's a free form text field.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is interesting. So they want to know why. So okay. that means if they're asking why, that means someone must be reading these things one by one.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, we had seen previously with the expanded hours especially at Epcot, something is going on at nighttime you know, for the holiday season. And uh, by the way, I guess I should add here that that I heard back from a number of people who are working on the Harmonious team and they're like, first of all, shut up. (laughs) Were they like, yeah, just just don't. They did confirm, yes, we do have pressure from management to try to deliver this. But at the same time... You're not helping, Jim. You're not helping. But they brought up... That our lovely friend Bio Reconstruct you know, regularly does flyovers and gives us updates on, you know, the construction phase. And it's like, did you notice the photos of the arms we haven't loaded onto things? And, and the genuine fear that if they just use the component parts to do a temporary holiday theme show where they just push these things out on the water and put in temporary programming, that it's like, if that doesn't go over with the public, then we're back in Rivers of Light 2. We have a show that has a bad rep before it even starts. So it's just, it's one of these things like, yes, they're asking us to do it. And no, we don't want to do it. And so it's like, don't talk about that anymore. So this is, <laughs> this is me not talking about it anymore. So
0: you're going to, you're going to wake up one day and there's going to be a broken, uh, illuminations mug on your doorstep as a warning. There we go. All right, cool. That's a great survey, Scott. Uh, thanks for, uh, for sending that in. Absolutely. Jim, other news, uh, Disney Cruise Line. Departures were canceled through the end of 2020. That's uh, not a surprise. Yeah. Have you seen though that as part of the CDC requirements, they have to do at least two successful simulated cruises? Ooh, have they, you seen this? I have not. Do they need volunteers? Because okay. I, oh, oh, I signed up. I signed up. Did you really? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So, wow. um, so the CDC says they mm-hmm. can. Uh, what they have to do is mm-hmm. go through a simulated cruise mm-hmm. while the boat while the ship is at port. So Uh port canaveral in this case, for example, where they would go through the entire onboarding, uh, the embarkation process and through, you know, a complete like couple day cruise Uh complete with meal service and spas and everything, but without the ship actually leaving using crew or volunteers Uh to figure out how things work. And the CDC is going to be there as well. Uh And if that goes well, then the next step would be to repeat the entire thing again, mm-hmm. but this time with the ship not at dock, with the ship out at sea. Wow. Okay. I, I signed up. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, let, let, let me know when this is when this is available. And the idea is that mm-hmm. if you go through the first one mm-hmm. and there are any deficiencies you have mm-hmm. to correct, you'd go through it again until it's fixed, and then you do the out to sea thing. And then basically you repeat the process until you get through both of them, and that's when you'll be able to cruise
1: again. Dear Lord. Well, again, if they need somebody to test that that hot rock spa chair, okay, you know, right? the, I will walk there. I know. Well, I've always joked like when I'm getting off the
0: the ship, like mm-hmm. at Castaway Key. That's sometimes when the Disney Cruise Line will test mm-hmm. its lifeboat system. Like mm-hmm. you'll actually see them drop the lifeboats from the ship mm-hmm. and drive them around the water for a little bit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that would be my short excursion for the day. <laughs> would be to. To be the person in the water in Castaway Key, like that has to be picked up by the lifeboat. Because I would be the one screaming, Does this mean the buffet's not running today? Like that would be me emulating a tourist.
1: Uh, Well, let's remember you're also the gentleman who, you know, again, you're on a cruise. And it's like, oh, yes, I should go run the 5K. While the rest of us, they're prying us away from the buffet with crowbars. It's like, (laughs) you've had enough Mickey Shafe waffles, sir. Move along. Move along. Ah, that's
0: true. Uh, Jimmy, other big news. uh, Rise of the Resistance boarding groups Mm -hmm. are now available at Hollywood Studios starting at 7 a.m. And you don't need to be in the parks to get them. So that is super interesting. Hmm. It also looks like uh, Disney's increased ride capacity by installing plexiglass between the rows of the ride vehicles. So that is good news. And the reason why we think that's happened, Jim, mm-hmm. um, I haven't been able to get a boarding group in three days. <laughs> but if you look at how Disney is calling the boarding groups, mm-hmm. so we're gathering this data from from Disney's uh, system You know, every mm-hmm. couple of minutes, they're way ahead mm-hmm. in terms of when they call boarding groups versus where they were like a week ago. Hmm. So they're calling boarding groups faster, and that generally means increased capacity.
1: Wow, okay. But I've been intrigued by this. You don't have to be in the park. Right, yeah. Have we established a perimeter yet? Because I I think... They haven't.
0: Ah. So we had a... uh, Our statistician, Steve, was in Atlanta Uh when he got his on the 3rd, which is the first day Uh that they were available. And I, I suspect... Disney will geofence that a mm. little bit more. Okay. Yeah, because there's no reason you do, for, for you to, to get one in Atlanta and think that you're going to make it. That doesn't, mm. that doesn't make any sense.
1: I've got friends who can go, just like you, who live in the celebration or the immediate vicinity. Is like, can I do this for my couch? And it's like, Ooh. Yep, and you can. Yeah. <gasps> oh, okay.
0: All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about how the retheming of Dixie Landings might indicate how Disney is going to update Splash Mountain. I vaguely remember Port Orleans prior to it being French Quarter and Riverside. And I know that it switched mm-hmm. from Dixie Landings back around the Millennium yep. Celebration. And the way I remember that is, I don't mm-hmm. I think I've told this story, um, but I was tasked with avoiding a barricade. I'm not going to say hopping, avoiding a barricade. <laughs> That Disney had put in place Mm -hmm. um, when the resort was closed after 9-11 to go see what they were planning there. But Mm -hmm. why don't you – I've never actually gone
1: through the entire history of the resort. So why don't you bring us up to speed on that? The original Port Orleans opens May of 1991. We see Dixie Landings. That opens nine months later, February of 1992. It's only in March of 2001. Now we start to see road signage change and napkins mysteriously disappear and come back with a new name. It isn't until April 1st that we suddenly get our unified resort where we have Porter Orleans French Quarter and Porter Orleans Riverside. So how did that happen? I mean, actually, again, I apologize. We got to do the James Mitchell thing. We got to go all the way back to the beginning, uh, which is November of 1972. Walt Disney Resort has been open for a full year at this point. The area that is known as the Vacation Kingdom, that's made up Magic Kingdom Theme Park, the Monorail Resorts, the Golf Resort, and Fort Wilderness Campground. Len, that's only 2,500 acres out of the 27,500 acres that that Disney owns. Today, by the way, Disney owns 30,000 acres. Just last year, they snatched up another uh, 235 acres for uh, $6 million. And some of that that is conservation offset, right? Well, yeah, that's it exactly. That just sort of tells you which sensitive areas, previously off-limit areas Disney is thinking about moving into. Anyway, back then, Don Tatum is the chairman of the board of Disney Productions, and Don is keenly aware of the $400 million that the company spent to build the Vacation Kingdom in the late 60s, early 70s. When this thing was announced in 65, it was only supposed to cost $100 million. So Don really wants to take those 25,000 other acres that Disney owns in Central Florida and turn them in a way for the mouse to make money. This is why he launches the Buena Vista Land Company, and, and I'm, I'm quoting now from the uh, annual report in 1972. This is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Walt Disney Productions, which is dedicated to the task of master planning and managing those properties around the Vacation Kingdom. So we're talking about all of this land that doesn't have anything on it yet. Now, mind you, if you're a Florida resident, you go you talk to Don Tatum back in '72 and asked him what the deal was with the Buena Vista Land Company, he would have said, oh, owned subsidiary, it's our vital first step to the development of Walt Disney's concept for an experimental prototype community of tomorrow. But look, Buena Vista Land Company was actually formed to build the city of Lake Buena Vista, which if it, everything had gone the way Don had initially hoped back in the early 70s, this leisure-oriented community would have been built on a park-like parcel of land this is 4,000 acres of land of woods, a big, big chunk, woods, uh, waterways, lakes, and trails that would also feature an 18-hole golf course. And at full build-out, the city of Lake Buena Vista was supposed to have provided homes for 20,000 residents' land. A mix of townhouses, single-family dwellings, and this is how they describe them, cluster homes which are uh, intended to be used as second home for snowbirds and also as corporate retreats. So again, you talk about houses that are only occupied certain times of the year. Which isn't to say that Don has entirely abandoned Walt's plans to build Epcot the city. But to Don's way of thinking, look, you have the vacation kingdom up at the northwest corner of Walt Disney World property. And you have the city of Lake Buena Vista, which is going to be built in the southeast corner on these other 25,000 acres. Yeah. And then you have the six mile long north-south road that's been built from the intersection of of I-4 up to the Vacation Kingdom. Is that World Drive? That's World Drive. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Because Lake Buena Vista is in the southeast corner of the property. There we go. Okay. Okay. So when anybody brings up Epcot during this period in the company, the pushback is all, well, you know, the thing about building Epcot is, and, and this is a quote directly from the, the annual report from 72 Len, That's going to require the complete cooperation of American industry in order to achieve Epcot's goal of introducing, testing, and demonstrating new systems and technologies. One of the reasons Don insisted on that, that language is Don wasn't like Walt. Walt was an optimist, where Don was a realist. And he just looked at the corporations that were in America in the 1970s and saw how wildly competitive they were. And how unlikely it was that they were going to share or or showcase proprietary technology, you know, with their direct competitors. Okay, fair enough. So it's just sort of like, yeah, 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 absolutely. The way the plan was set up, they could point to that world drive, that six mile long north, you know, north-south road and go, yeah, see right there? That's where we're going to build Epcot the city someday. But in the meantime, you know, let's go with more conventional projects like the city of Lake Buena Vista. Don has this $400 million that the company spent on phase one of the vacation kingdom looming over him. So, so as a result of which, when it comes to the construction of the city of Lake Buena Vista, he wants to be as cautious as possible when it comes to spending the company's money. So he wants yeah. to build on whatever infrastructure is already there. And in this case, we have the off ramp that the state of Florida built for Disney that came off. <laughs> yeah. Wait, hold on. He's going to, he's going to start by saying we've got an off ramp and that's where we're going to go from there. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, <laughs> seriously, we're talking oh, about, oh, look,
0: there was this Stuckies that was here. So we're in the gas station business now.
1: All right. I now. want to say there was John's, the shop that was right by this intersection that made so much money off of the construction workers that the day that Disney World opened, he retired. It's like, oh,
0: <laughs> thank you guys, <laughs> yeah.
1: But, but anyway, yeah, there's this off Software empathy, it's the intersection of Interstate 4 and State Road 535. 5- 535, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. So, this is what led to the Walt Disney World Preview Center, which operated from January of 1970 to September of 71, and also uh, led to Motor Inn Plaza, now Hotel Plaza. Wow, okay. yeah, all right, so you have this off ramp and this access road. And so this actually drives the decision to the effect of, okay, this is where we start phase one of the city of Lake Buena Vista. So in 72, they develop 1200 acres. So we get waterways and lakes sculpted, we get roads and utilities installed. And then then we get construction of 80 townhouses. And once those 80 townhouses are leased, they start construction of another 53, as well as the 18-hole golf course, because again, Disney management loves golf courses, at least back then. But we have 133 townhouses now in the city of Lake Winter Vista, and the people who live in these townhouses need places to shop, they need places to work. So Lake Winter Vista uh, Land Company, they start work on a commercial center. Something along the lakeside that initially is going to be made up of handicraft, boutique, and convenience stores. Long range, the company also wanted this lakeside commercial center to feature a number of major department stores and restaurants. I remember department stores. Yeah. know <laughs> the, the, the Mickey Mall. Right across the street was supposed to be a 110-acre industrial park. The Sun Bank building was supposed to be the first of 13 buildings that were built back there. Sun Bank was the only one that ever made it out of the ground. And, of course, that was because of the Arab oil embargo, which started in the fall of of 73, continued into the spring of 74, which derailed so many plans at Disney, including large chunks of the city of Lake Buena Vista. But on the other hand, there's stuff that was already in motion. And, you know, in a weird sort of way, the equivalent of the Tron life cycle runner or or Ratatouille for Epcot, when all of this stuff went down because of COVID, it's like, well, those are already going forward. So those are going to happen. And in this era, what went forward was the Lake Buena Vista shopping village. That opens in March of 75, and as soon as they turned the key on this thing, Len, They're in trouble because they can't persuade people to go over to it as part of their vacation. In fact, things got so desperate. And I'm sure there are folks out there who remember the Walt Disney World ticket books. And there used to be the first ticket that on the top of your tickets would be a complimentary uh, coupon for transportation from your hotel or the parks or wherever over to the shopping village. It's like, please, God, take this coupon, get on that bus, go over, you know, go down there. But again, nobody wants to go. So first thing you do, they rebrand it. They drop the Lake Buena Vista shopping village name, and it now becomes the Walt Disney World Village at Lake Buena Vista. Name trips right off the tongue there, Len. Oh my God. Also notice the word shopping has entirely disappeared. Just, it's like, (laughs) go there. And then with the hope that giving this waterfront commercial center a new icon, Disney pours millions into the Empress the They build a 220-foot-long, 60-foot-wide, elegant Mississippi steamboat, which, of course, isn't a steamboat at all. It's a building with three dining rooms, four lounges, but it's, it's completely tricked up. You know, it's got filled with satin and velvet and mahogany and authentic period uh, fixtures like brass lamps and crystal chandeliers. That opens May 1st, 1977, Walt's widow, now Lillian Truins. she got remarried in May of 69. She's there for the dedication. Even with this thing open, it struggles. So we now, who enters the scene? But Dick Nunes, who, at this time anyway, is the president of Disney's outdoor recreation division. <laughs> a, it sounds like a department at Sears. <laughs> it's not parks and resorts. Because back then, Disney still had this vision where it could reinvent itself as a corporation. So it could do things beside theme parks. Like, for example, build a ski resort at Independence Lake, California. So here's, here's Dick, and he's down at the, you know, the shopping village, and he's, he's looking out at the Empress Lily. And 15 years previous, the Walt Disney World master planners had deliberately left a chunk of property at the, you know, the Lake Bonavista Shopping Village empty because that was where they were looking to eventually put in the Mickey Mall, the major department stores and restaurants. Oh. And, and so big check of property right next to the Empress Lily left open. But Dick was one of the very first employees hired when Disneyland opened in July of 55. And prior to shipping out to Florida to help with the completion of the construction of the Vacation Kingdom, Dick had been there for the opening of New Orleans Square in July of 1966, and he had seen what an impact that had on that theme park. Dick's looking at Empress Lily. He looks at the empty chunk of land behind him, and it's like, okay. Reaches out quietly to a bunch of Imagineers who were kind of stressing because they know that Epcot is under construction, and when it opens in 1982, there's going to be a downsize. And right now, there are at this point, there are two thousand imaginers working in Glendale and Florida on both Epcot as well as Tokyo Disneyland. So when the boss comes through the door and says, Hey, I got an idea for a project. It's like, yes, sir. (laughs) Absolutely. Sir. Tons tons of people who can listen. Yes. And so what gets underway at this point is the Lake Buena Vista, New Orleans square project. Ah, New Orleans. Okay. So Tying it back to Disneyland, New Orleans Square. Okay, there makes we sense. go. Okay. So there are actually details that were published about this project in the September 10th edition of the Epcot Construction News, which was you know, a weekly publication handed out to the guys who worked on site. They're hoping that some of them will commit to come over and work on future projects. So the headline is Lake Buena Vista expanding guest facilities. And this article goes on to describe a two-part project, which provided Epcot Center proves to be a success, will begin construction in 1983. So here's the gist of the article. The Walt Disney World Village is slated to expand to the south and the west from the Empress Lily restaurant. This initial phase of the project involves 120,000 square feet of restaurants, entertainment facilities, and merchandise shops themed to a New Orleans motif. A secondary expansion of Call's for a new 600-room, low-rise Disney hotel, also themed to the New, new Orleans field. And at this point, the, the, the hotel is a name. One of the primary restaurants for this Lake Pointer Vista, New Orleans Square, is called The Garden Restaurant. And the gimmick is that the side that would face the Empress Lily would be deliberately yeah. designed to look like... You know, your classic southern mansion with the white columns and that sort of thing. And evidently, sure. facing out toward the street, it would have had a different look. Anyway, it, uh, they go on to say that all of these hotels and related facilities have either completed design or in the final phases of design. And again, their construction will depend on how successful Epcot Center is. They keep hammering home that point. Construction of Lake Buena Vista, New Orleans Square depends entirely On how Epcot does and, and Dick is excited about this. He doesn't. Oh, oh, sorry. So Jib, so pause one second. So, um, so they said the construction would go south and west.
0: South and west. Right? Yeah. So south of Disney Springs
1: is Typhoon Lagoon. They're being very, very literal here, Len, like literally to the south and the west of the Empress Lely, as in where Pleasure Island was built. Oh, got it, got it. Okay, I thought you meant like like the general area. Okay, no, no the, right. like right, 20 right. feet over there, yeah, yeah. right there. Go there. Okay, I, I, all right, I thought you meant like like a couple of miles. No, 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 feet. no. <laughs> Just, you know, we need people to stay here and shop, so put it next to the damn boat. Got it, got it, got it. So got. anyway, Dick's really excited about this project. He actually, he does another interview for the Walt Disney World Eyes and Ears in May of 82. This is five months out from when Epcot opens, and Dick gets asked the question, do we plan to expand our hotels? And Nunes' response is, Estimates say that this area is between 15,000 and 19,000 hotel rooms short. We're worried about it. Right now, we have plans to expand the Polynesian Village, the Golf Resort, and the Walt Disney Village Resort area. We also have in design three hotels, the Mediterranean, which will be located between the TTC and the Contemporary, Cypress Point Lodge, which will be built west of River Country and be themed to a Western Hotel, uh, it includes log cabins by Bay Lake. Does that sound familiar to you, Len, In any way, it, it vaguely does. It, yes. There we go. Okay. And then third hotel, the Grand Floridian, We're going to build on the old Asian site on Seven Seas Lagoon. It'll be a replica uh. replica of the Grand Florida hotels of the 1900s. Our creative people have come up with an absolutely beautiful design. And then finally, after, after a long after a long vacation at the uh, Del Coronado in San Diego, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you guys taking so many pictures? And, oh, no reason, no reason. You, you go back in the hotel. And then finally, Dick says, and we have some dreams for the Walt Disney World Village. From the Empress Lily, we're going to build a New Orleans street, and you'll be able to walk up that, walk right up that into a beautiful New Orleans hotel. And again, May of 82. Mm. Epcot opens five months later and struggles due to some poor film choices and other things going on at the company. Company Disney undergoes a management change in September of 1984, and we get our new CEO Michael Eisner, who has his own thoughts, Len, about a Southern-themed hotel for Walt Disney World, which we'll talk about on our next show. All right. So, just based on what you you, you said today, mm-hmm. they wanted a
0: Southern mansion. Yep. Idea mm-hmm. and a uh, but a different kind of facade on the other side. Okay. So we did get
1: mm-hmm.
0: a Southern mansion set of buildings in Port Orleans Riverside, but that's
1: not the only kind no, of Southern architecture that we got. No, right, And in fact, right, so we'll- you know, what's fascinating, Len, is there's actually a brochure that Disney put together in May of 1981 for the Lake Buena Vista New Orleans Square project, where you can clearly see Dick's hand in this thing. because, for, for example, at one point, one of the facades in the background is the building that Pirates of the Caribbean is housed in at Disneyland Park, and it's just one of these things. That's like, oh, wait a minute, you're not gonna bring that ride here. It's already over the Magic Kingdom, and it's like, well, no, not the bil- not the ride, but we'll have the building. And oh. what's left unsaid, you know, to the effect of, because remember, you have the the Empress Room on the Empress Lily, which was supposed to be the height of dining at Walt Disney World at that point. Where you know we're a couple of years out from Victoria and Albert, but. Supposedly part of the plan for the Lake Buena Vista, New Orleans Square, was that this was going to be the very first place that you could have the Club 33 experience in Florida. Which Really? Yeah. Again, same thing. Just kind of secret doorway hidden off to the side and... It's just sort of like, I don't know how the guys at the Empress room would have felt about that. It's like, wait a minute, we're supposed to be the special dining experience. And it's like, <laughs> nope, sorry. <laughs> so.
0: All right. And we're going to, we'll finish that, uh, the show up uh, next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Fabulous. Good job on that. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney dish show today. Please head on over to disneydish.bandcamp.com. where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes including that new in-park audio that I just released and the upcoming special series on Epcot storytelling on next week's show. We're going to finish up this history of Dixie landings. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's building a replica of Fantasyland's Toad Hall for his entry in the Wood Memorial Library's 10th annual gingerbread house festival, November 27th, 2020 on main street, in beautiful downtown Windsor, Connecticut. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. I'll see you on the next show.